All right, I want to read to you out of Matthew 14. Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000. The apostles have picked up their 12 baskets of leftover fish and bread. And Matthew 14, 22 says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, and he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent them away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth night of the wa- a watch of the night, that's about 3 a.m., in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous and he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Lord Jesus, we love you and we bless you. Thank you for your word and the testimony of who you are and the works that you have done. Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit this morning that I would represent you correctly, that we would know the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit this morning as we look into your word and who you are. We praise you and we bless you in Jesus' name. All right. So Jesus at three in the morning comes walking across the lake. It's the Sea of Galilee. Comes walking across the sea. And the disciples see him and they think it's a ghost. I remember years ago, Pastor Richard Probasco saying that uh, a lot of what Jesus does gets blamed on the devil. The disciples think it's an evil spirit coming for them, but it's really God. Jesus comes walking across the water and he says, Hey, guys, don't be afraid. Be happy. It's me. And Peter says, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out on the water with you. And Jesus says, come on. And Peter jumps out of the boat and lands on the water and doesn't sink in. And he walks. We're not told how many steps. It might have been four. It might have been 24. We don't really know. But he's walking successfully on the water in a storm. And he looks and he sees the wind and the waves. And he gets scared and he starts to sink. And he cries out, Jesus, save me. And Jesus reaches down and grabs his hand and pulls him back up to the top of the water. And he says, Peter, you have such little faith. The New Living Translation says, the King James says, where is your faith, Peter? This one said, you have you of little faith. And then they walk back to the boat together. I I like to point out that Peter walked on water twice. He's famous for the sinking part, but he got back up and he successfully walked back to the boat with Jesus, right? The fact that he sunk is not the end of the story, all right? Peter walked on water twice, but uh, I really don't want to talk about Peter this morning. I want to take a look at Jesus, and I just want to propose that, that I don't think we know this guy very well. I, I'm like, who is who is this guy whose disciple successfully walks on water? 
for some amount of time, whatever that was, and then he begins to sink, and Jesus says, you have such little faith. Jesus is obviously a complete failure as a pastor. Because if he lived in 21st century America and he read the Andy Stanley books and the Zig Ziglar books and all that he would know, you don't ever, ever focus on the negative. You always encourage people. You always make them feel good. You only talk about what they succeeded in. That was a really good try. We're going to do it again. And you're going to succeed. I mean, Jesus obviously doesn't know the 21st century descriptions of himself because he would never have done this if he had known what what we know about him can you i mean can you imagine peter getting back in the boat he has a he has a real right to be seriously offended seriously he does I got out of the boat. No one else got out of the boat. Those chickens are cowering behind me. And I at least tried. And I successfully walked on water. And I took six or eight steps. And it worked. And one step I go down to the knee and I get a little afraid. Where's your faith, Peter? Seriously. If Peter was a modern-day American, he would be really, really upset, and he would totally leave Jesus' church. Totally. Because Jesus obviously does not have a clue about how to handle people. Peter walks on water when no one else does, and Jesus says, you don't have enough faith, bud. Seriously, what is he doing? What is Jesus doing? What is he doing? Well, So, let's just think about it a while. Did you ever have a coach who was happy that you almost scored? The cheerleaders do the cheerleading. The coach does the coaching. Coaches don't cheerlead. Coaches kick you in the butt until you do it right. Come on. Your football team didn't get down to the two-yard line and fumble the ball, and like coach says, like, oh, that was a really good try. I am so proud of you guys. You almost scored. No, coaches don't do that. You know, you know Mike, you've thrown 18 air balls. I just know you're going to get the next shot. I know you're going to get it. I, it's just you're, you're trying really hard. No, the goal is to score. Hello? Jesus is not our cheerleader. He's our coach. So his job is to see us actually succeed. The cheerleaders can cheerlead all they want. Coaches have to make us successful. Have to make us actually get it done. And since he was doing it, he knows it can be done. Can I get an amen? Since Jesus, since he was doing it, he knows it can be done. Let's get real honest here. I want to talk to those of you who are 
very diligent and successful in guarding your diet and you exercise regularly and you are fit and healthy and you take care of yourself. You don't have any pity on those of us like me who don't do that and then make excuses that we're fat and healthy, unhealthy and tired. And I'm saying that is right. Those of you who are diligent about your diet, you exercise regularly, you take care of yourself, and then somebody comes along and like, oh, I'm so tired all the time, and I just don't have time to exercise, and I'm, I'm just fat and out of shape. And you know those are all bogus excuses because you're doing it. I can blame it on my genetics because I'm shaped just like my grandpa. I can say that my body has a propensity to be large, and it does, but that means I better do all the more to take care of myself. And the fact that I really like Pepsi and Ding Dongs is not a valid excuse. Come on. Those of you who just cannot be on time, and you're always making excuses about it. Those of us who aren't, don't buy it. We don't. We know it is possible to be on time. Most of the time. Sure, things come up. But if you have a habit that you are excusing and justifying, and those of us who don't have that, we may smile and nod, but we're not buying it. Come on. Those of you who don't tithe and you have all your reasons why, those of us who do, do not agree. We know you're lying. We don't buy your BS about it. You're just not doing it. I just can't, I just don't have time to have a regular quiet time. I just, I just don't seem to be able to make that happen. Well, a lot of people do. And they have the same amount of time as you do. It can be done. It's all a matter of priority. And it's all a matter of what you think Jesus will excuse. Come on. Jesus, when Peter walks on water, when he starts to sink, Jesus gives him no excuse. Peter, suck it up. Come on. Turn your faith back on. Get back up here. We're going to succeed. We're not going to make excuses. You know why? Because excuses will drown you. Peter will die if he doesn't turn his faith back on and do it. There are those who have been through trauma and tragedy in the death of a loved one or a serious health problem or a marriage problem or whatever. They're not buying the whining of those who are like, oh, it's, life is so hard and it's, it's just so terrible and you know, there's always somebody that's had it worse than you. Even though that's never what the devil tells us. You have it worse than everybody else. No one understands. Well, that's not true. Satan wants us to go automatically to that pity party, to go to those excuses, to go to the pouting, to go to the quitting, to go to the I want to stop. As I speak this morning, I want you to have in mind, this is not like part two of what I said last week. It's not a sequel, but it's a response because I want to just remind you what we talked about last week, that 
that I really believe there are very hard times coming. And I need you to know, we need to know, Jesus does not feel sorry for us about that. And he isn't cheerleading us into it. You just try your best. No, it is you must overcome or else. Come on. Jesus said we would do greater works than he did. He's not up in heaven feeling sorry for us. He is praying for us, but he's praying that we'll overcome. He tells Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I didn't tell him no. He's going to. But I prayed that your faith would not fail. That's Jesus' prayer for us, is that our faith will not fail. Because if our faith fails, we will die. And Jesus will be as blunt as he needs to be so that we live. Come on, Peter, where's your faith? Get up out of the water, you're going to drown. So I read an account from World War II, this time in the Pacific Islands, of uh, a private Sid Phillips and private W.O. Smith. And Private Smith had, they were on some Pacific Island, Guadalcanal, I think, which was a really, really, really bad battle. Private Smith developed dysentery to the point that he got down under 100 pounds. He could not lift a rifle. He could not march. And eventually he couldn't even walk. He, he lay in his own diarrhea all day with flies crawling over him. And Private Sid Phillips who was his friend and a medic in the unit they were in, would carry him down to the ocean once a day and just lay him in the water so that the waves could clean him off. And Private Phillips, the medic, said, Honestly, every day, I expected to find him dead. And I, took, I was just trying to take care of him until he died. He had some stomach bug so bad that he was going to die. The interviewer in the book said, I asked Private Phillips, what, what were those moments like where you're carrying your 98-pound friend down to the beach and, and he's covered in you-know-what and, and you think he's dying and he's your best friend from home and you're taking care of him? I said, he said, what, what did you say in those moments? And the interviewer said, I was expecting some poignant thing about the meaning of life and death and friendship and love and the camaraderie between soldiers. And Private Phillips answers the question. He says, I told him to quit being a faker, take a salt pill, pick up his rifle, and start fighting again. Because, Private Phillips said, in the infirmary with the guys that are sick, if we gave them any excuse for self-pity at all, they died. They always died. If they gave in to feeling sorry for themselves, or feeling weak, they would quit, and they'd be dead in a day or two. He said, so always in good fun, but always intentionally, we would always tell them, suck it up. Toughen up. You can do this. You got this beat. You can make it. You're going to be out of the bed tomorrow. This is a World War II medic saying, Self-pity killed the men, encouraging them even when things are extremely dire is what saved their life. Well, I have been in pastoring, I have been in marriage counseling more than once 
where I was hopeless for this marriage. But I can't say that. Except that I did once. I made a mistake. <laughs> I told the husband, I, I think you need to get a divorce. Thank you. Thankfully, he did not listen to me. <laughs> and that couple's still together, and praise God. But I've, I've heard some really bad, hard situations. And I he, I'm hearing the story, and they're here in my office wanting counsel and help and, and a word of the Lord. And I'm thinking inside, God, I don't know what to tell this couple. They're too far gone. This is too bad. But God always has a way. I've been in situations more than once again where somebody comes and they're, they're dealing with hatred, unforgiveness. And they know they're supposed to forgive, but as they tell their story about what happened to them, I want to go kill the person that hurt them. I mean, it makes my blood boil. It makes me furious. And I, what I want, what my flesh wants to say, because I love all of you, is like, yeah, go break his nose. I'll help you. What I want to say is you have every right to be angry. But Jesus never says that. So I can't say that. I have to say, suck it up. Turn on your faith. Forgive. Again. And some people sometimes get mad at me about saying that. They get offended like, "Ah, I knew you would say that. Like, well, I'm really sorry, but I can't tell you. Actually, I'm really, really angry with you. Jesus never, ever, ever shows us self-pity. He never, ever gives us sympathy for our weaknesses. Even though that is the very common picture of him, is that he, quote-unquote, understands. And that he sympathizes and he... He knows why we do what we do, and he knows why we don't do what we don't do. There is an actual, it's actually satanic. It is an anti-Christ version of Jesus who is a serious wimp, who just strokes people and feels sorry for us and commiserates with us, and he understands our failings, and he empowers our weaknesses. That's not Jesus. When Peter successfully walks on water, Jesus says it isn't enough. We got to get back to the boat, Peter. Get back up here and let's get back. When Jesus goes to the fig tree and it specifically says it's not the season for figs, but there's no figs on it, he curses the tree and kills it. When when a woman comes to Jesus whose daughter is having demonic seizures, he calls her a dog and says, no, I'm not going to help you. Did you know that story? He says, it is not right for me to take the children's food and give it to dogs. And then she is so humble, she says, but Jesus, even the little dogs get the crumbs that fall off the table. And then he says, oh, wow, that is amazing faith. Go home, your daughter is healed. But at first he says, no, I'm not going to help you. I mean, this, this stereotypical image of Jesus that we have as being the cuddly little flower gardener is not who he was. He doesn't 
empower our weaknesses in our excuses for why we can't get it done. In Revelation, he says, for those of you who try really hard, I have a reward for you. Now, wait a minute, I misquoted that. I think it says, I know that you meant well, but you were just really busy. No, that's not what it is either. No, it says, for those who feel powerful feelings about me. No, I've missed it again. I think it says, to those who overcome. To those who overcome. Jesus is an all or nothing kind of guy. He says, if you don't give up all of your life, you're not fit to be around me. He says, if you even want to be a friend of the world, you can't be my friend. Jesus doesn't give us any sympathy. He isn't buying our BS. We make excuses about why we can't get this done or why we can't do this or why we can't do this. He is absolutely compassionate. He's absolutely merciful. He is absolutely forgiving, but we cannot have our excuses and his forgiveness. Let me say that again. We cannot have our excuses and his forgiveness at the same time. We have to have one or the other. Because by definition, if I am making excuses, I am not confessing it as sin. I'm expecting him to understand why I do it. And it's not sin. If it's sin, I better be confessing it. And asking for forgiveness, which you will have instantly. Because he is instantly compassionate and merciful and gracious beyond our wild imaginations. But he doesn't buy our excuses about why we can't do this or that. Or why we have to be this way or that way. He just understands that's just who I am. No, he doesn't understand that's who we are. Not in a way that empowers us to just be that way. We're making excuses and it makes us mediocre. Jesus is not into mediocrity. Examples of what this means. I mean, somebody has a bad temper and they just don't get it defeated. If you have a bad temper, confess it and ask for forgiveness and ask for his grace to overcome it instead of saying, well, Jesus just understands that's, that's just who I am. I just have to blow off some steam every now and then. That's the opposite of confessing your sin. That is excusing your sin do you hear me i'm not saying jesus doesn't understand what who we are and why we do what we do but he's not buying our justifications he does not understand quote unquote our fear the guy who's been to hell and back knows it can be done so if we don't obey because we were scared he isn't going to pat us on the head and say well, that's all right. I understand you were scared. He is going to say, let's try it again. Turn on your faith and let's walk on water. No matter how impossible or how terrifying it is to do what he says, we have to do it. But we really like the Jesus that pets us and understands and doesn't challenge us or push us into actually changing. When I've told you before that when I was a teenager, my dad and I were very divided. And it was my, it was in my heart. Uh, the way he treated us boys growing up was, he was a pretty fiery temper. It was pretty violent. 
but that led to me hardening my heart against my dad. And when he would correct me, as when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, even if it wasn't in sin and a bad temper blow up, when he would correct me, I would not listen because I was hard toward him. And I would always think to myself, well, Jesus understands. Dad's wrong, Jesus understands. He knows why I did what I did. He wouldn't talk to me that way. He wouldn't treat me that way. And I, I completely blocked out my dad's correction. Using Jesus as my excuse. Do you see it? I've done the same thing with Sarah a few times over the years. When she's had something to correct me on and I didn't think I was wrong, I would use, well, Jesus understands. If in your own imagination, if in your own heart, Jesus is where you run for sympathy, that's not Jesus. Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was a preacher in the 1800s, said, May I never make the vulgar mistake of claiming to be persecuted when I am contradicted. May I never make the vulgar mistake of claiming to be persecuted when I am contradicted. May I never make the vulgar mistake of claiming to be persecuted when I am contradicted. If some authority of yours has something to tell you and you ignore it and say, well, Jesus understands. No, Jesus is talking to you through that authority. He isn't going to, quote, understand our sin in a way that keeps us in our sin. So I know that somebody has thought of the verse in Hebrews, and you're thinking, but Mitch, the Bible does say he understands. Hebrews says we have a high priest who identifies with, in one translation or the other translation says, he understands our weaknesses. Yes, amen, absolutely he does. He understands what it's like to be a person. He knows that our days are but a breath. He knows that we are made of dust. He knows about temptation. He knows about weakness. He knows all the things we are ignorant of because we haven't been to heaven and seen all that's there and we don't know the spiritual world he totally understands it all which is why he is so instantly forgiving and why he pours out his grace on us so that we can be what we're supposed to be don't ever think that verse means that he allows us to continue on in our sin allows us to make excuses for our fears so that we don't obey he allows us to be mediocre and that he's okay with that not he understands our weaknesses in that he understands what we need he understands he we need him to pull us up out of the water so that we can walk on water that does not mean he understands like he's okay with it that we would stay in the boat that's not what that means it is i understand why you're sinking and i know how to fix it i know how to make you successful let me be your coach Pastor Josh likes to point out that the word in the Bible for rebuke and the word for encouragement is the same word. In English, we would think somebody chewing you out and somebody encouraging you are opposites. But actually, in God's language, it's the same thing. If you need to know about that, go see Pastor Josh. 
I'll let him explain it. But Jesus, of course, he never does anything harshly. Of course, he's gentle. But gentleness is, come on, Peter, come on, get up. Turn your faith on. Gentleness is, oh, you of little faith, come on. You can do it. Don't be afraid. It's not that he likes being short with us or blunt or even rude. It is that he knows that if we're afraid, we will die. In the days that are ahead, if we are afraid, we will die. We have to be strong and courageous. It is not an accident that that is the number one command of Scripture. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous is the number one command of Scripture. That is not Jesus enforcing an impossible standard on us. It is, this is how you will live. This is how you will overcome. And I know you can't do it. Yes, I understand I identify with your weaknesses, which is why I give you my grace. And you will walk on water. You will raise the dead. You will heal the sick. You will do the impossible. You will see the impossible. It will happen. And you will live and you will be victorious. No excuses. If you need to confess, confess. Receive His grace, His instant mercy, His total forgiveness. No excuses. And we'll have victory. Thank you, Jesus, that you bluntly speak the truth to us to save our lives, to pull us up out of the stormy sea. Thank you that your rebuke is your encouragement. Thank you for being a good and caring coach. That all you want is our success. You want us to see victory. You want us to overcome. You want us to live and not die. Lord, forgive us for entrenching ourselves in our own excuses, in our own self-pity, for thinking that you will excuse our excuses. Lord, we drop our excuses this morning. And we say yes to whatever you have called us to do. No matter how scary or big or impossible it may be, it is by your power that we will walk on water. Would we commit again this morning to not look at the wind and the waves, to not look at the circumstances, to not be afraid, but to look only at you. You are our encouragement. You are our savior. You are our coach. You are our teacher. You are the medic that won't let us give in to self-pity. But always an encouragement and good spirits. You, you get us up and get us moving into your will. You will not let us sink. You will not let us die. All we need to do is honestly obey. We love you, Jesus. We praise your name. Thank you for taking such good care of us. Thank you for not leaving us to our own devices, but to teaching us your real, honest, blunt truth. We love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.